0: Hey everybody! Welcome to a COD Roadrunner Radio student podcast special. Hi, I'm Kevin, and I'm here to introduce the students from our Intro to Radio class whose podcasts were chosen to be included in this special. Coming up, you'll hear from Daniela, Sebastian, Hanoka, Christian, Grasspile, and Isaiah. Each one has put together a quick little set going over a topic that fascinates them that they wanted to share with you. So, without further ado, we have the Fall 2023 Intro to Radio Student Podcast Special.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Momento Latino, the podcast where we delve into the lives and careers of some of the most talented artists from around the world. I'm your host, Daniela Mateus, and today we're going to take a trip to the country of arepas, beautiful people, and of course, great reggaeton. You got it. We're going to Colombia and shine the spotlight on one of the country's rising stars in the music industry, the incredibly talented singer, Faith. Faith, whose real name is Salomón Villada Hoyos, has been making waves in the Latin music scene for quite some time now. With his unique blend of reggaeton, urban and pop, he's captured the hearts of music lovers not only in Colombia, but also around the globe making him one of the top Colombian artists, as well as giving light to the country's talent in music, specifically reggaeton. So let's dive into the journey of this remarkable artist. Faye's journey started in his home growing up in Medellín, Colombia. Medellín, or how we call in our country, Medallo, has become Colombia's artistic city. It is one of the main locations where Latin artists go to record their music and create their own producing companies. Its heavy culture and reggaeton inspires the entire country and brings out many talented people in rap, trap, and other music genres. I'm going to give you guys some honorable mentions. We have some producers that have started the path of reggaeton in Colombia, which are Sky Rompiendo, Only on the Drums, Rude Boys, Daime El High, and Saga White Black. Fade was born in Medellin on August 19, 1992. Growing up, he was surrounded by music and art with family members who shared his passion. He's the son of Berta Lucia Hoyos, a preschool teacher and psychologist, and his father, Jorge Mario Villada, a university professor in art arts, as well as his sister, Manuela Villada Hoyos, who is a graphic designer. From an early age, he began honing his skills, writing songs and singing whenever he had the chance. It wasn't long before he realized that music was just not a hobby, but literally his true calling. I'm going to give you guys a fun fact about Faith. Um, In an interview, he revealed that growing up, he disliked reggaeton. He was more into American and Jamaican rap, even though he wouldn't understand the lyrics. He recalls fighting with his sister a lot because she wouldn't stop playing reggaeton. But eventually, it started growing in him, opening a new interest that would lead him to his success. In his early career, he faced the challenges that many aspiring artists encountered. He worked tirelessly to establish himself in the fiercely competitive music industry. So, what he did is that he started as a songwriter, under the name Rajo, which means thunder, I think. (laughs) And by making connections, he started to be a songwriter and ghostwriter for various famous reggaeton artists like Nicky Jam, after, he would get close with a Grammy Award winner, Jay Balvin, becoming one of his main songwriters, which helped the artist to be more recognized. After years of being a songwriter, Rayo decided to start his singing career. He changed his artist name to Fate and debuted his breakout single, Morena, released in 2015. That marked the turning point in his career. Well, Fitzgala Vertevi's spirit was key in the start of his singing career. Also, it played a pivotal role in his rise to fame. His willingness to work with established artists to bring his unique style to the table, which led to numerous chart-topping hits. Whether it's the infectious rhythm of Querraro with a Grammy Award winner, J Balvin, or the sultry vibes of Porfa, with Puerto Rican singer Justin Quiles, Pedro's consistently delivered music that resonates with his fans across the world. Oh my god, Porfa is such a good song. Te pido porfa, no te vayas, quédate conmigo. <laughs> But Fade's journey hasn't been without its share of struggles. He faced setbacks, self-doubt, and the challenges of the ever-evolving music industry. However, his determination and love for his craft kept him going. He continued to refine his sound, experimenting with various genres and styles, carving out a niche that is uniquely his own. He expresses all of these difficult moments of his life in one of his songs, La Buena Fai, in which he tries to connect with people that also have sacrificed a lot to follow their dreams, especially those who have left their countries for better opportunities. Well, now leaving the sad part aside, let's travel to 2020, the year where everyone's life was shaken by covid In 2020, Faye released his debut studio album, Fercho Volumen 1, Mor, which was met with the critical acclaim. This album not only showcased his musical versatility, seamlessly blending reggaeton, trap, and pop, but also offered a glimpse into the depth of his songwriting and storytelling abilities. It also set the Colombian slang word, mor, to the entire world. Yeah, mor, M-O-R, which is a prettier way to say, my love, in Colombia. More comes from the word amor, but because of the Colombian slang, we just took the A out. Fate's lyrics often explore themes of love, as well as relationships and the complexities of human emotions, making his music relatable to a broad audience, which also attracted a lot of audiences of different ages, although his listeners are mostly young. Slowly, he has started to be more recognized by people around the world, And because of this, during 2021 and 2022, he rebranded himself, where he went from Fade to Fercho, F-E-R-X-X-O, Fercho, a nickname given to him by a famous Colombian producer, Sky Rompiendo, one of our honorable mentions. But hey, before moving on, why don't I tell you why Fade is his name, if his name, his real name is Salomón? It doesn't make sense, right? Right. In a recent interview, Faith revealed that his artist name came from the word Faith. Said before, he listened to a lot of American and Jamaican rap. One of his favorite artists was 50 Cent. That's why he wanted to find an artist name being Chimba, or as English speakers say, very cool. Faith resonated with him a lot. As he keeps explaining, he modified the word to Faith because he liked it how it sounded with his accent, which made it more unique for him. In the process of rebranding, he also chose his brand color, the color green. He made it so significant that his albums had the color everywhere, as well as his clothes, merch, and concerts. And as the genius he is, fans loved it. So, take notes. If you ever go to a Fades concert, do not, I repeat, do not forget to wear green. He's also known for his Oak League sunglasses and his baseball hats, which he has always makes space for those pieces in his outfits. But never forget the green. Man, even me, I'm wearing green right now for this podcast. Fate has masterfully leveraged the power of social media, especially TikTok, to connect with a broader audience and strengthen his presence in the music industry. He recognized the immense influence of TikTok as a platform for sharing short, catchy videos, and he didn't miss the chance to ride that wave. By creating engaging and shareable content related to music, Faith tapped into the creativity of TikTok's users' base. He encouraged fans and influencers to create their own dance challenges and lip sync to his songs, turning them into a viral sensation. A great example of this is Feliz Cumpleaños Fercho and "Amor," hey featuring Puerto Rican singer Osuna. In 2021, Faye surprised fans with a unique and creative project titled Feliz Cumpleaños Fercho, Te Pirateamos el Álbum. This unconventional release showed Faze's innovative spirit, as he inv- invited listeners to experience a one-of-a-kind birthday celebration through music. And before we wrap up today's episode, let's touch on the latest developments in Faze's career in 2023. He's been keeping busy and continues to impress us with his musical endeavors. Fate has been on tour, grazing stages around the world with his electrifying performances. His live shows are a testament to his dedication to delivering an unforgettable experience to his fans. If you have the ha- chance to catch him in a concert, it's an opportunity you want to not miss. As Fate continues to evolve his sound and push creative boundaries, the artist opened a new chapter called "More." Yes, more. And I have some exciting news for all you fans out there. The Colombian Association recently dropped his highly anticipated album, Mor, No Le Temas a la Oscuridad." This album is a testament to Faith's growth as an artist and promises to be a musical journey filled with emotions, catchy beats, and compelling lyrics. So, as we close out today's episode, let's celebrate Faith's continued success in 2023 from his chat-topping singles to his electrifying live performances and his efforts to make a world a better place. Faith's journey is far from over, and we can't wait to see what the future holds for this remarkable artist. That's all for today's Moment Latino episode, where we celebrated the incredible journey of Faith from his early days in Medellín to his chart-topping collaborations, the release of his t- latest album, *More No Le Temas a la Oscuridad, and his ongoing success in 2023. Thank you for joining me. Until next time, keep the music alive.
2: Hey,
3: this is Sebastian Gulliants. I began going to Dubspot Music Academy about eight years ago, give or take about eight to nine years ago incredible academy this academy gave a a full course full foundation a full layout full course description about music theory chord progression you name it anything about music this academy gave the full every course available anywhere from mixing and mastering sound design engineering getting the entire software down anywhere from understanding and learning Ableton a few factors I would like to go over in this podcast would be just um Breaking down a track in general, just producing electronic music in general, a few elements that needed to that need to take place within the track in order to be a complete track. Okay, so let's break it down. We have we have your kick, which is essentially going to be like the rhythm in the back, right? Whether it's four by four or halftime, you have your drums, right? You have your hi-hats, you have your snare, you got your your crash, you have your shakers, you have your rims, you have all kinds of percussion. Now. You have a bass, right? Whether you're recording off a synthesizer, off a virtual instrument, a VST, which is a computerized version of a synthesizer... You have options. You have you have a group of options. You know, for me personally, the way I like to start producing a track is either a with the melody or b with the bass. Uh, again, both melodies, just depending if you're creating a bass melody or a progressive melody, which is like you know based off like high keys, more so progressive form. You have options. You know, um, even before you get to that, you have a couple more elements which are going to connect the entire track itself. Whether it's a atmospheric layer in the background or some sort of a choir, or just one long look key which is a consistent keynote playing throughout the track which essentially combines everything keeping it in, in like the same space essentially. Yeah one sound that literally connects everything. You want the sounds to kind of seem as if they're all coming together as out of one. You don't want sounds like place in different elements you know you'll want to see everything coming out the same same room for example so let's take it from there besides melodies you know you can create a melody off of a virtual instrument off a synthesizer you know it depends if you're gonna go midi it depends if you're gonna just record a quick audio you have options you have you have a ton of options me personally i, p- I prefer recording melodies off the mo synthesizer Clean, clean electronic signal. Incredible synthesizer. Dr. Moog created the Moog synthesizers in the early 80s. Began with the Mini Moog, which is a iconic synthesizer. Clean signal. You have pulse width, triangle, saw, and sign, which are the pulses for the sound. You have a good amount of options. You have oscillation switches. Good, good amount of options. The synthesizer, which I currently use, is the Moog Grandmother. Again, incredible, fantastic device. Clean signal. The second you get it down, you know, it, it might, it, everyone's different. It depends how good you are with Ableton and how good you are with using synthesizer, for example. And, you know, the better you get with Ableton, the more options you have. For example, you could plug in a, a mug, in your Edition mug, and you can go MIDI and you could start sequencing higher, and now you could have that sequenced melody playing completely off your mug as it's like midi in in Ableton. So you have you have a lot of options. So the second you get a, a, a clean, proper sequence, you know, whether it's five to six melody keys or even just three to four bassline keys, you start working with that, right? So you start adding your percussions, you start adding your drums, you start adding your surrounding elements, whether it's a choir sound, whether it's supporting effects. And, you know, you take it from there now. You can... It's when producing a track, it's best to start in a 16-bar loop or, you know, if you want to take it to an 8-bar loop, make it a little bit shorter. I like to do a 16-bar loop. So you start with that. You start adding each of your elements. You add each of your drum elements. You add your choir sound. You add your vocals. You add your effects. You add your cut towards the end of the 16-bar loop to kind of give that loop a reset. You work with there. So... What happens is now you start filling in each compartment. You start filling in track after track. You start layering. You layer your bass. Me personally, I like to. I like to give at least two to three layers. You know, for the melody sounds, I like to. I like to give about three layers. Layer one would be a would be the main layer. Second layer would be give or take a lower octave of the same sound. And the third layer would be a higher octave, about maybe five to seven transpose, which is going a couple keys up, which essentially gives the sound a, a unison layer, which is very unique. It comes out very clean and crisp. You know, same with the melody sounds. You can get very creative with it. Just make sure, you know, as far as like EQing, you do a proper job EQing it because you don't want the channels to kind of get mixed up and muddy amongst each other. You want, you want for example, you want the main channel of the melody to be like supported you want that to be very strong right you want the second melody you want it to be eq proper so that the main frequencies of the second layer are coming out and are not really colliding with the first layer you know you want the you want the layers to support your leading sound without overtaking it or getting too cluttered or muddy you want to be clean as possible. And you know, that being said, EQing, compressing, effects all play a essential role in how you're gonna shape the sound, right? Because it's not ultimate. Like, sh- sure, you do need to record a clean audio, but you also need to fix it. You need to clean it up even more with EQing. You need to properly set. Yeah, yeah so you sh- shouldn't need to sidechain it, but EQing is a bit more important compressing is a lot more important i would say setting the that particular channel to a proper db would be just as important because you know if that channel is a little bit louder for example a couple of dbs could make a night and day difference so now you have proper layering you have proper eqing proper effects Now, uh, as far as drums, everything is clean. If you have everything EQ'd, you have everything cleaned out, you know, everything is sitting well, you have all the dBs levels sitting right. Uh, Now you start adding, if you have all your choir, all your supporting elements... You have your atmosphere in the back, which, which is going to connect every sound together, essentially letting every sound sit on like a nice choir platform. That main sound in the background, it's not a sound for you to more so hear. It's more so a sound to give every sound a proper placement, which makes a complete night and day difference. Now, you have all your supporting elements in your 16 loop bar. You have your bass, you have your drums, you have your kick lined up, you have your melody, you have your choir. You have your vocals, you have your effects. Now within that 16 bar loop, let's get some let's get some automation done. You could do automations with filter, whether you're filtering out a, C, a certain frequency, certain melodies, certain percussions. You could add some more, for example, some more delays, some filter delays to add some uniqueness, add some creativity to it. And now from that point, once you have each one of your layers, depending on the track, I would say anywhere from 50 to 100 tracks, right? For example, you have your bass layer, you're gonna have three bass layers, layer, main layer, supporting layer, and third layer. Every, you know, most people will do two layers. I sometimes do three. Once you have each one of your channels lined up, then you start arranging, right? So now you start subtracting. You say in the beginning, I just want the intro, for example, and that's choir sound led by a melody, led by a little bit of percussion. And you start arranging from there. You start taking, you have pieces of the puzzle, you have pieces of your track, and you start layering it out, placing it here, placing it there. And you take it from there give or take for me a track depends on the day depends you know what you're going through depends how you how fast you're working i i tend to complete tracks pretty quick you know ultimately uh, uh on the person it comes down to the person it comes down to the person's work ethic work preference. ethic just depends on how much work you're willing to put in you know and yeah you take it from there it's certainly not easy but very possible and very fun and um Highly encourage it, recommend it for anybody. Truly an incredible thing to do, produce electronic music or any music you you love in general. Highly recommend it. Thank you.
4: What's up, guys? It's time to tune in and take your career to the next level. Are you a career-driven individual with big dreams? Picture this. A world of opportunities awaits you with Handshake, the ultimate job and internship resource. From resume writing to job search tips, interview mastery, major exploration, career assessments, and skill-building workshops, we've got it all covered. Check the schedule and register today because your future starts right now at the Career and Workforce Solutions Center. Hey, did you know sometimes you just need music to pass the hour on by? Offbeat Radio is on at Thursdays at 8pm to give you the space to relax and think about the colors of life. Join me, DJ V-Dub, as I start off Thursday nights with some words to inspire you or to feel worthy about who you are, and you'll discover some tunes that'll set the tone. Once again, I'm DJ V-Dub, and Offbeat Radio is on Thursdays at 8pm. You won't want to miss this.
0: You're listening to the Fall 2023 Intro to Radio Student Podcast Special here on COD Roadrunner Radio.
2: Hi guys, my name is Honoka and today I want to talk about food in the U.S. from Japanese point of view. I know this is going to be so interesting for not only Japanese who wants to know how the food is like in the U.S., but also for everyone who is interested in Japanese food culture. So before we go into the topic, let me introduce myself first. My name is Honoka Sasaki. I'm 18 years old and born and raised in Japan. I'm currently a freshman in college in California. I came to America after I graduated high school in Japan, and it is half a year ago now. I've been to various places for language school in the US, west to east coast when I was in high school before college started. So I have experienced six different house families. The house family is like a guardian here, they give international students a place to stay and cook for us. Since I came here and stayed with local families, of course, I've got some feelings for food in a good way and also a bad way. And I think a lot of Japanese people who live in the States think the same way as I do. And I wanted to share how's the food like in here and compare about it. You can also know about how's the food like in Japan at the same time. I thought this topic would be so interesting for and helpful because I would I wanted to know about these things before I came here. And I hope this podcast will find someone like Yang Mi. So first, I really want to talk about Japanese food in the US. When we think about Japanese food, I think most people would think about sushi. To make things clear, no offense at all, but you can never have same sushi that you get in Japan for the same price and for the same quality. Never. First of all, I think when American and Japanese think about sushi, we think the different types. When most of Americans friends think about sushi, they think about the rolls. For example, California rolls or tuna spicy rolls. For them, the sushi Japanese thing is called Nigiri, which is One of the kind of sushi, but all my American friends call it nigiri instead of sushi. So I think we just think a little bit differently about it. For the price, it is so expensive, oh my god. I remember I can be full for only $6 in Japan. I actually went to a sushi restaurant a few days ago for one of my friend's birthday and it cost me like $20 and I had another meal at home after that. I was just still hungry because it was just so small for the price. I bet it's just not easy to get fresh fish. So I get it, but um, I miss Kaiten so much. If you not know what I'm talking about, I know you're missing it too. So, Kaiten sushi is a kind of sushi restaurant in Japan where the sushi goes around counter and tables on a conveyor belt. There are two nigiri on one plate for only one dollar. How amazing is that? Next, you cannot miss ramen if you are Japanese. And I have good news for you. Fortunately, there are some good places to have ramen in the States. I actually didn't expect this, but there are a lot of ramen restaurants and most of the restaurants have really good ones. So you don't have to worry about that. Speaking of ramen, I noticed some differences in the way we eat. For ramen, Japanese sloops noodles, in order to eat it with the soup. On the other hand, making noise eating noodles is bad manners in the US. So I often hear like when foreign people come to Japan, surprised about it and feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's not only about that, again, with the sushi, we have a slight differences to in eating them. For example, Japanese put soy sauce only on the fish part, just a little, however, American put soy sauce on not only on the fish but also on the rice part too it is almost like dip i think we we can say the same thing with anything like fast food such as fries or fried chicken i feel like american definitely like using the sauce more than japanese do i was astonished when i saw someone put sauce on the burger as i mentioned about the price for sushi earlier Japanese food is so expensive, especially if you are a student. We must stay strong together and get through this. I would say I need to pay double the price in the, in the state before I, ca- I came here. I thought it would be cheaper or at least bigger. You know, everything in the U.S. is so big. But I guess not for the Japanese food, unfortunately. I think good sushi can be one of the most expensive meals in the state. So some people go to sushi restaurant for a good dinner. I think rice is the cheapest Japanese food you can get. As a student here, when I miss Japanese food and try to save money, I would just buy rice and eat it with the seasoning. So what am I eating if I'm saving money? Thankfully, you can save money if you don't go eat out. Food in the grocery store is enormous. It's like Costco everywhere. Milk, cereal, bacon, snacks, a pack of salads. Everything is so big. So as long as you don't go out, and you'll be fine I got a lot of questions from Japanese friends If I gain weight Yes Even if you eat the same as you do in Japan It is sad to say But you'll see a little difference in your body automatically I think it has a lot of sugar Or art- artificial flavor And it makes you gain weight But the good thing is that um they have a lot of more vegan food in here compared to Japan so it does not mean you can't be being he- healthy or not and of course there are always good and bad things for everything for this topic i think i have more good things actually but i would say bad things for me is that it's too expensive to eat at restaurant not only for japanese food and it's going to cost me like 15 to 20 dollars at least and almost every candy or snack i had here tastes too sweet however here the good things you can buy a lot of amounts or big size of food so you can actually save money if you don't go out a lot also i like how they make a lot of flavors for anything it's just fun to try new things such as matcha chips or big mac flavored pop tarts I'm going to try it one day, not going to lie. So um, this is going to be it for today. Yeah, a lot of Japanese is concerned about the food in the U.S., but you will be fine, I promise. For college students, it's okay. You, you'll be fine. The advice from me is that let's not, let's just not eat sushi every day. And yeah, you're going to be fine. We'll be fine. Unless you're not like the biggest... Big eater though. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and got some information. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.
5: Hello, everyone. I am your host, Christian Pacheco, and welcome to my podcast where I talk about self-growth. For many years, I felt so lost in myself in searching who I was. So when I started doing my research on self-growth books, I didn't really like the process. Like, what I mean is that I'm not a big fan of reading books at all. So I was, I challenged myself with it. So the first book that I read was The Mountain is You. That book was an amazing book to start off. Like, to be my first book ever and being able to finish it was something that I really enjoyed. And that book, it talks about... The main purpose of life and how you want to change and how you're able to be someone else with being yourself in a way. What I mean by that it's that don't be afraid to challenge yourself, don't be afraid to try new things, get out of your comfort zone. In order for you to be comfortable in in situations you have to be uncomfortable first. And that's something that I It took me a hard time to know Or to adapt Because I come from I come from where I come from a place where like I was very really so close to myself Like I wasn't really like An outgoing person in a way Like for many years I was like so anti-social And becoming like a social butterfly Was kind of hard at first Like at first I was like Pretending to be someone Which the whole cool thing Until you make it is true You have to make it In order for you to Be where you want to be uh, so, another thing that the book helped me understand was when my emotions. My emotions do come say a lot. Like, I'm very... Sometimes I can be so emotional and it's okay It'll be... It's okay to not to be okay. So, for many years, I pretended that I wasn't okay. I pretended that I, was, I wasn't okay. It took me to a dark place in my life where I needed help. I didn't know how to ask for help. I was very... I would keep everything to myself. Whenever I would hang with my friends, I would just be happy. That was like the way for me to escape my problems. So when I noticed that I needed help, it took a lot of pressure and it took a lot of communication. Communication is key. Key for you to be, for people to understand how you how you're feeling, for people to understand who you are, and for you to understand why are you feeling that way. It's crazy. Like, it's really crazy how life can change at 360. And that book made me realize a lot of different things as well as life. Like, life, you're the one. You're the character of your life. You're the director of your life. So it's the, you're the one controlling your life, which is good. But at the same time, it's like pressure because sometimes you don't know what you want to do with your life. Sometimes you're a little lost, but that's okay. Like, you're not going to figure it out. And everything will come slowly at its time. The second book that I read was called Good Vibes, Good Life by Vex Keen. Vex Keen is one of the most known authors in this industry, which is crazy because, like I said, I was never a fan of books, but my new self became fun of a book <laughs> so this book talks about like how you change your negative thoughts to positive uh, and how you see everything and everyone in a positive way because at the end of the day you're like the only one who controls your emotions you're the only one that basically controls your day if you really if you want to have a bad day then you're going to be all negative if you want to have a positive day then you're going to be all positive
0: Find my way. I can go the distance I'll be there someday if I can be strong
5: I know every mile will be worth my while I would go most anywhere to feel
0: like I
5: belong So this book shows you how to like become more positive with yourself and how and to see like the good on everyone even though they like they can become bad people Whenever you're going through a hard time or just experiencing something bad to you, never take it as a negative way. Like, take it as a sign that it's your time for you to leave the place. Take it as a sign that it's your time to grow and then just to be okay with it. Like, even though sometimes you can have, like, the worst experience with someone, you should feel grateful for, for you to experience that because it will help you grow and help you to know yourself and what you like and what don't you like and people or even yourself it's okay to go through those times to be where you want to be also now going back to it i had to go through those bad moments like i said where now i'm grateful like now i'm grateful that i was able to go through those hard times those moments where i just cried myself to sleep those times where i didn't really feel like i wanted to go out I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm, I was able to go through that stage in my life because I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't have my standards, my boundaries, and my limits with people and with myself. So it's okay. Like It's okay for you to go through those dark times alone. Eventually, you'll start growing and noticing things in yourself that aren't healthy at all, which it talks about in that book, too. Like You'll, you'll notice your red flags, too. And it's on you if you want to work on your red flags or if you want to change your red flags. That's on you like it, everything depends on you now you're not gonna be your mom is not gonna be controlling your life your mom is not gonna be controlling your emotions your mom is not gonna be controlling the way you want to see things this book will show you how to will show you to notice the reflex in people on yourself and also it will, it will practice self-care tools a lot of people don't really like talk about self-care but literally it's so simple like start by doing your self-care morning like self-care self-care routine um if you like coffee go for a coffee if you'd like to go for walks go for a walk that's practicing self-care and a lot of people like we we live in a life where like life goes on and on and we never like feel like it never's gonna stop but it's okay like have time to practice self-care within yourself go out on dates go out on for go for coffee or go or even for a Starbucks if you're a Starbucks girlie. <laughs> but yeah, like, find your higher purpose. Like, everyone and everyone needs to find their... Not needs. Want. If you want to find your higher purpose, this book will also help you find your higher purpose in a way. Like, something that you didn't know that you can do. And once you do it, it's like, that, I did that. This book will show you how to become the shining light from others. Like, sometimes other people are going through worse things than you. And you have to be... And sometimes you have to help. Like, if you want people to help you, help others. Be kind. Spread positivity. Spread kindness and everything. But one... The main thing about this book also is changing your habits. If you have bad habits, girl, let me tell you. Start changing them. Because one, it's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for others. And it won't be healthy at all. Start working out. Start doing yoga. Start... Um expanding your knowledge start something that will help you grow and will help your habits grow too manifest your goals a lot of people now do believe in manifestation i do too (laughs) like start manifesting your goals start writing down what you want to accomplish this year we're only like three months away but we can do a lot of things in three months which is good it's a good book for everyone i highly recommend it and yes like everyone has to be their higher version I was your host, Christian, and it was an honor talking about self-group books and my personal experience at some point. Everyone will be at this stage at some point of their life, and you will eventually grow. Loving yourself is a choice, so start choosing yourself. Thank you.
6: Hello, everybody. You're listening to COD Roadrunner Radio. I'm your host, Grass Pyle, and on today's podcast, I'm going to tell you about three interesting instances of tragically canceled films. Together, we'll examine what the projects really were, and why they were sadly dropped by the studios. First up is a movie that is very interesting, although definitely has the least information available out of the three that we'll be talking about today. This is Stanley Kubrick's The Beatles, The Lord of the Rings. Now during the mid-1960s, The Beatles wanted to pivot from their success as musicians into more broad multimedia sensations. This would culminate in the creation of five films starring The Beatles from 1964 to 1970. However, few know of the Beatles film that wasn't, their failed attempt at adapting The Lord of the Rings. After the success of their first two movies, A Hard Day's Night, and Help, producer Danilo Dell approached the band with the idea of adapting J.R.R. Tolkien's novels into a film. Having all grown up with the books, the group was eager to jump on the opportunity. Now despite the obvious choice for the four members of the band to play The Four Hobbits, it's been reported that only Paul McCarley and Ringo Starr would star as They'd be playing Frodo and Sam respectively. George Harrison was set to play Gandalf and John Lennon was to play Gollum. Details vary about the medium of the film. Some suggest that it was meant to be animated, although most people claim that it was to be live-action. One thing is for certain though, the film would have been a musical and the Beatles would have been providing original songs for the project. I know what you're thinking though, what caused this ingenious idea to be shot down? Tolkien himself Writer of the books was not on board with the idea and refused to allow the adaptation to happen. But even aside from that, the project was in desperate need of a director, with their first choice being Stanley Kubrick. Hot off of his success with Dr. Strangelove, Kubrick almost immediately denied the proposal, believing the project to be unfilmable. Despite never wanting anything to do with the project, the cancelled film is still often referred to as Stanley Kubrick's The Lord of the Rings. There would eventually be film adaptations of The Lord of the Rings, with the animated Rankin-Bass films and the famous Peter Jackson movies. Although, notably, both have released after Tolkien's passing in 1973. Up next, we have an interesting account of an interesting sequel to a cult classic that would have been very ahead of its time. Today, legacy sequels are extremely prevalent. But back in the late 90s, there was an idea to produce a sequel to the 1982 cult classic film Blade Runner. This is Blade Runner Down. In 1998, the film was pitched as a direct sequel to the original film with hopes of Harrison Ford returning. Now, Much like the original film was based off of the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? This sequel was to be based off of the first sequel novel, *Replicant Night. The film would pick up 10 years after the original film. Now interestingly, this was set to be a sequel to the original theatrical cut that released in 1982 and not. The director's cut, which is more widely seen today as the proper way to experience the story. The plot revolved around Ford's character, Deckard, returning to Los Angeles and being hunted by a new division of Blade Runners, following the events of the previous film. Many plot points were directly lifted from K.W. Jeter's novel, and the film was described as the alien to the original film's alien, implying that the scope of the film would be much larger. Now, the reason for the film's cancellation can almost be pinpointed to one person, co-producer Bud Yorkin. The original film's rights belonged to him, not Warner Bros. Although the film was shown around to many studios who had all taken interest in the script, Warner Brothers executives, including producer Yorkin, did not see the appeal of the entirely completed screenplay. Yorkin would later receive credit on the eventual sequel, 2017's Blade Runner 2049, despite his death in 2015. This was most likely due to some kind of contractual obligation. Much like the original film's lack of success upon release, 2049 only grossed about $92 million in the United States on a budget of around $150 million. Although the film is regarded as a cult success, even spawning prospects of lower budget spin-offs, such as a TV show in 2022 titled Blade Runner Lotus, it is unlikely that the series will ever see another major theatrical release. Now our last cancelled film definitely has the most information about it available. This was a very public cancellation to another cult film. This is the lost sequel to Space Jam, Skate Jam. 1996's Space Jam was both a major hit at the box office, grossing $250 million on a budget of $80 million but it also became a pop-cultural phenomenon. Executives at Warner Brothers were quick to realize the potential that another film would have. Skate Jam was just one of many planned sequels to the film Space Jam, this time starring famous athlete in quotation marks Tony Hawk. It was inspired by the popularity of skating and skate culture that had extended into the early 2000s. Now some of the other sequel ideas that Warner Bros. had Include a direct sequel that would have once again starred Michael Jordan, although he denied to return for the sequel. The film even got so far as to have the original director, Joe Pitka, sign on to direct and had some concept art drawn up. Other sequel pitches included Spy Jam, including Jackie Chan, which was cancelled after Chan found out what the plot was. Golf Jam, starring Tiger Woods, which was cancelled because the creators felt that the idea was going nowhere. And Race Jam. Starring NASCAR driver Jeff Gordon. Skate Jam was cancelled in favor of 2003's Looney Tunes Back in Action with Brendan Fraser. Which had many elements from the cancelled Spy Jam movie. Now this film did not perform very well. It only grossed about $68 million on a budget of $90 million, Which would influence the cancellation of the previously mentioned Race Jam. Although Back in Action is regarded as nostalgic to some people like me. Um, the film's poor performance solidified the fate of the Looney Tunes, leaving them mostly put on Warner Brothers shelf for the foreseeable future. Tony Hawk himself was reportedly extremely interested in the idea of Skate Jam. He was very disappointed that nothing arose from the initial discussions. There would be a sequel to Space Jam, in the form of 2021's Space Jam A New Legacy, this time starring LeBron James, would bring in $163 million dollars on a budget of $150 million, even during a time of quarantine and premiering the same day on HBO Max. While Skate Jam is unlikely to ever happen, the success of A New Legacy brings into the idea of further films featuring the Looney Tunes in the future. And there you have it. Three interesting cancelled movies and their respective reasons for cancellation. There are dozens of films just like this, with untold stories that were sadly never explored. And likely hundreds that didn't even make it into the public consciousness. I implore you to look further into these films and try and discover some of these cancelled projects for yourself. Thanks for listening.
0: Embrace your inner cow person. Give them a hug. Tell them you
3: got about three seconds to make a move, and two of them are already gone.
0: Join COD Roadrunner Radio every Saturday from 7 to 9 a.m., whether old school is your comfort zone, or new country is your jam. We've got what you need. COD Roadrunner Radio, your music, your voice, your station. This is the Campus Buzz. DJ V-Dub here with Did You Know? The Craven Student Services Center Edition. Veterans Resource. Hi, I'm Donnie Prince with Veterans Resource Center and our student veterans organization. We're here for veterans, anybody military affiliated, their dependents and their friends to get together, meet together, have fun together, participate in things like Veterans Day activities and the Veterans Day parade. If you're interested, come and see us at the COD Veterans Resource Center
5: and the Craven Student Services Center. This is your Campus Buzz. Boo-boo-boo.
0: You're listening to the Fall 2023 Intro to Radio Student Podcast Special here on COD Roadrunner Radio.
4: Hello COD students. With Halloween just around the corner, it is time for us to get into the spooky season with some classic horror films that help set the foundation of this genre. These are just some of my favorite horror films that I love to re-watch around this time of the year, and possibly you can too, or judge my taste in movies if you would like. I'm Isaiah Moore, and I'm here to bring you some of the spookiest and scariest movies from the 60s to the 90s. You more than likely know most of these iconic films, but it is good, especially for us film majors, to go back and recognize how this genre became what it is today. So with that being all, Let's begin. First, we got the iconic film known as Psycho. In the film, we see a woman by the name of Miriam Crane go on the run after stealing 40k from her boss. However, a heavy rainstorm overcom- overcomes Miriam's tenacity, so she takes shelter at a rundown Bates Motel, where she meets Norman Bates, an odd young man with a fixation on taxidermy and a difficult relationship with his mother. As I said, an iconic film that just completely messes with your understanding of the story. With so many twists and turns, you are left wondering who's the villain and who's the victim, especially with Norman Bates as he's an interesting horror character who constantly makes you feel safe and threatened. This is a must-see film as I've never seen any film like it and I don't think it will ever be able to be recreated. With such an unexpected ending and a bunch of surprises for first comers, this will be a great way to start off your marathon. I personally love this film as it is one of my favorite films of all time. Everything just works together, like the unsettling location, outstanding acting, and brings you into the atmosphere of the film. That you just sympathize with Miriam and you can't help but be like concerned with her safety, like girl, you know. Especially once we reach the most iconic scene in cinema, the shower scene, that plays with our feeling, our fear of being exposed and vulnerable. The movie just plays with your mind in a way that makes you feel part of the film and its suspenseful nature just makes perfect for this time of the year. So y'all should definitely check it out. Up next, we got Halloween because like, come on, you can't have a must-watch Halloween horror list without Halloween itself. The film follows the aftermath of the night of Halloween in 1963 when a six-year-old Michael Myers murders his older sister, Judith Myers, is locked away however 15 years later a 21 year old michael breaks free from smith's grove and returns home to had where he stalks his next victims like this is halloween itself it's just a great way to get you into that halloween vibe with all the characters dressing up and trick-or-treating like it captures halloween while scaring the pants off of you even with all these new versions coming out that continue the story it is a great way to get go back and see the beginning of it all It has a lot of good scares in the mix and a fantastic, unsettling score that puts you in that spooky mood. a suspenseful yet horrific film that has some great kills being performed by the notorious and iconic killer Michael Myers, who I'm pretty sure scared all of us when we were kids. Not only did the film give us such an iconic killer, but it also gave us the final girl role through Laurie Strode. It's just always a great time to rewatch this film and a great way to start off the spooky season. I love this movie as it's just a perfect movie to watch after trick-or-treating with the family or coming home from a party. It's just Halloween all-in-one, so skipping it every year is a crime in my opinion. But I love this film for Laurie and Michael as they help set the path for other heroes and villains in the genre. Michael's simple yet dark motivation makes it clear that a terrifying killer doesn't have to be a superpowered demon from hell, but just a man in a mask with a thirst for blood. I find him terrifying for that reason because he doesn't kill for revenge or purpose. He kills just to kill. And when it comes to Laurie Strode, she may not be the first final girl we saw, but she shows how they fight back and protect those around them. She made the final girl a fighter rather than a victim, which helped change the genre forever. So this is another definite watch for the spooky season. Next we got the classic film The Evil Dead.
2: I fear that the only way to stop those possessed by the spirits of the book is through the act of bodily
4: dismemberment. Ash Williams, his girlfriend and his pals go into the woods to stay at a cabin for a fun night away until they discover an old book known as the Necronomicon. After reading the text aloud, the group releases a demonic force that they must fight for their lives or succumb to the darkness and become one of the evil dead. who I feel like I'm being watched. Anyways, <laughs> this film is simple yet horrifying as it's just a bunch of friends going to the cabin in the woods who begin to die in many ways it has a lot of unexpected moments that make the whole story unpredictable and it's hard to figure out what's coming next the acting of the possessed friends or scared actors is one of the strongest parts of the film as it just makes it so much more horrific (laughs)
0: If you
4: can, <laughs> and they do a hell of a good job at scaring the crap out of you in the right moments. With the addition of well-done special effects, it only adds to the horror and makes these moments much more terrifying. There are a few unexpected kills that are accompanied by some spectacular levels of gore that will leave you shocked at times. This film is one of my personal favorites as... I just, it just, it genuinely terrifies me, like you can tell by my voice right now, like i get a little spooked out here, but, and it just leaves me shocked after every rewatch. However, if you're new to the Evil Dead franchise, I will warn you that this movie, along with Evil Dead Rise, are the only real horror movies within the series. The other movies mainly focus on horror and comedy, so it takes a much different approach from the first one, but is still an outstanding standalone film that you will get some good scares out of it is also a great horror movie for y'all the people out there who are sitting at the edge of the seats yelling at the characters to like come on people like use your brain you know what i mean like it's just good for those people who want to tell the characters like make better decisions people for the most part the characters do all the right things but you know it's still a horror movie so like they're not like the best at thinking sometimes you know but it's one of those films where they have everything and i mean everything against them So when they do make those, like, really good decisions, it's really enjoyable and welcoming for the audience. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I'm just, like, reminiscing, getting a little spooked right now, so I'm kind of, like, freaked out right now. My bad. Whew. So even if you don't want to watch the rest of these films, the first one is a good one just to, like, start you off and get you an idea of what's to come in the series. So it's another must-watch for this Halloween.
3: No! It was the ones themselves! (laughs)
4: Finally, ending this list with with a classic that many of you may have heard of or seen before Sleepaway Camp. After witnessing a horrible boat crash at a young age, Angela Baker goes to a summer camp with her cousin, Ricky Thomas.
5: Hurry, sweeties! We don't want to be late for the boss!
2: Goodness, no. No, That wouldn't do at all. Richard! Angela! Oh, here you are! Take good care of my little girl, Richard. Goodbye, Mom. Goodbye,
4: dear. Where an unknown killer goes on a killing spree, murdering anyone who stands in their way. This film is just different from most horror movies that we've seen before. It has a lot of weird and questionable moments that just make for a great watch. And if you love creative, gory, and gruesome kills, then this movie is definitely for you. There's one kill that maybe a little much, so a little warning on that. It's just a little fun summer summer camp slasher that is good for a scare during Halloween. The movie does a great job of making you think you know who the killer is and then switching it up at the last second. This leads to the most unexpected yet shocking ending out of this whole list. This ending itself is like enough for one horror movie marathon. Like, it will scare the pants out of you, y'all. It's
5: Angela! Angela! Are you alright?
6: Angela! Are you okay? Angela, can you hear me? I don't think
5: so, Angela. Angela,
2: such a lovely name. Why, I believe it means angel. Why, yes, I'm sure it does. I know you're going to like that name, won't you, Peter?
4: think this movie is wonderfully weird because it's just odd in every way yet intriguing like it's just a weird movie but that's what's great about it you know it's just so different and memorable that you will not forget this movie no matter how long ago you watched it as it's unique in every way from the beginning to the end with every kill and a character the movie takes you through a journey you have never been on before making it worthwhile. However, as i warned about the one kill in this film, there are other matters that might be a bit much or offensive for some, so a little warning on that, but still a great watch. Just a few honorable mentions I kind of want to throw in here. Um, I wanted to include The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Hellraiser, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, The Shining, Jaws, The Exorcist, Friday the 13th. Carrie, and Candyman. These are just some amazing horror movies that have been around forever, so some of y'all might have seen it before, if not, definitely go check them out, but they're just great horror movies to watch especially for Halloween, and another great way for us film to get some practice in analyzing these films and see how different horror has been throughout time. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time I have for you guys today, Remember, remember that these are just some of my favorite horror films to watch during this spooky time of the year, so you don't have to watch them or like them at all. Just my opinion. I think y'all should check it out. It's definitely pretty good. But just again, my opinion. Y'all can crap on them if you want, just saying. But mainly, this is. these are some great films to look at for us film majors. You know, go back and see how the genre has changed throughout the years. See how your favorite films changed the genre and see how many, how things carry on through each other. But those were my picks. Let me know what you guys think of these films, or if you have any better suggestions for movies that should have been on the list. But that is all for today, peoples. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I will see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Fall 2023 Intro to Radio Student Podcast Special. I'm Kevin. You're listening to COD Roadrunner Radio. See you next time.